It's the JT The Brick Show. 39-yard field goal for Carlson set up on the right hash. Good snap, solid hold. Field goal is up, and that is good. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Crowd into it. Wilson lifts the right leg, gets the ball. They bring the blitz off the edge, and they get to him. Nate Hobbs coming around the left side. Your silver and black home to sound off for over 20 years. Open Adams at the 35. Racing to the 20. 10. Touchdown Raiders. And now, here's JT the Brick. JT, as we're back here on Raider Nation Radio, the flagship of the silver and black, 920 a.m. and the Raiders mobile app. So interesting last 12 hours or so. Let me get into this. Uh, last night, I had dinner with a friend of mine who was in town at the Cosmopolitan. He was at STK. A great service last night. It was quiet. There were not a lot of people out. So I went out and had a nice dinner with a buddy who was in town. I took an Uber for obvious reasons. Was going to have a cerveza. Let's get Modelo in here. Yes, I did have a Modelo at STK last night or two. So we're having a good night with a buddy of mine. And then afterwards... I went over to Virgin Hotels to meet my buddy, J.O.D., who runs one stake at the front there. Had a great time there for a little bit. And on the way to Cosmopolitan to Virgin, which is just Harmon. So for those who live in Vegas, you know, if you're out of market, we have F1 in town coming up here in November. Formula One's here in town. I haven't seen much of the construction. I haven't been by the paddock, which is right next to Virgin, which is pretty incredible. And it was pouring rain. And again, I didn't didn't see rain on this last weather event that we had. I was in a cab last night. I thought it was going to be a five-minute cab ride. It took me 25 minutes, almost a half an hour, to get from the Cosmopolitan to Virgin, just going over the strip. And then once I got over the strip, it was just cones. Everywhere, pouring rain sideways. So I took a video of the sphere in the background, and it was raining. And then I came up to the F1 paddock, which... I know it's on pace to be ready on time. It did not look ready to me. There were construction workers out there in the pouring rain last night when we were there. And when I left Virgin, about an hour later, the rain stopped when I headed back home. But I first time I was inside that deep dive into where they're ripping up the road, building the track, and understanding where F1 comes down Las Vegas Boulevard. I guess speeds will top over 200 miles an hour, well over that on the straightaway. They're going to make that left onto Harmon, and then they're going to go down Harmon and Coval and wherever they're going, past the paddock, by the sphere, it's going to be insane. And to see that last night with the rain and the weather and the construction, knowing that there is a clock on all of this. You know, we're thinking about the Super Bowl coming up here, which is a big deal, but they got to get this F1 construction done. So a little construction talk last night, because as I rave every day about Vegas, I should be the mayor. I love Vegas more than anybody. Last night I saw the construction and the havoc that is going on over there on a rainy night where it doesn't get much rain here in town. And I understand why people are starting to freak out. That clock for F1, and they're going to get it done on time. Vegas gets everything done on time. But they got a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. So I got a good night's sleep. Woke up this morning to text message from Name Drop Alert, Stephen A. Smith. We were texting back and forth about, wink, wink, the running back market, which is pretty interesting because Jonathan Taylor has till next Tuesday to find a trade partner if Indy's going to trade him. And this is getting weird because the Josh Jacobs 
scenario. I was in the Raiders building earlier this morning before the show. So, again, this last 12 hours from the Cosmopolitan to Virgin to traffic, the rain over at the Raiders facility this morning, texting with Stephen A. Uh, Pretty wild last 12 hours, but the running back market now is at a pivotal point. There are two storylines, one here in Las Vegas with Josh Jacobs. No movement at all today. No breaking news. No new news on this issue, which is fine because Josh has got time. But plane leaves tomorrow. I got my travel itinerary with the Raiders. We're leaving tomorrow around 4 o'clock to head to Dallas. And I always thought that he would be on the plane or he'd be close to being on the plane. He'd be available to get on the plane, which could change throughout the show. It could change tonight, tomorrow, but it probably won't. And we're getting to crunch time on Josh Jacobs. And more importantly, it's not more important to the Raider fans, but to the league, Jonathan Taylor. Because Jonathan Taylor's trade value is very important going forward for Josh Jacobs next year if he's going to get a contract extension with the Raiders or if he ends up not wanting to be here and goes to another team. We have no idea. But it's going to start with Jonathan Taylor. Saquon Barkley is playing on that franchise tag with a tiny bit of juice. Josh Jacobs has got to figure out what he's going to do on the franchise tag. And then the market next year will reset again. Unless Jonathan Taylor agrees to terms by next Tuesday when the rosters go from 9 to 53, a team like the Dolphins trade for him. Let's say the Dolphins trade for him and his four-plus million dollar salary with the indication that they're going to pay him new money. And what would that new money be? Would it be $12 million? No idea. Would it be $15 million a year? But the headline today right now at ESPN.com is that the Colts are fielding inquiries on a trade offer for Jonathan Taylor and nothing has moved just yet. So Jonathan Taylor could be one step closer to his wish of being traded and that deadline, deadline, the Colts are saying is Tuesday to find that trade partner. According to uh, Stephen Holder from ESPN, six teams have inquired about Taylor's availability and two of them have engaged the Colts with offers. And one of the teams is the Miami Dolphins. And that's important because the Raiders play the Miami Dolphins this year. And we don't want to see Jonathan Taylor on the Miami Dolphins with Waddle and Tyreek Hill. I'm not not worried about Tua. I'm worried about those guys catching bubble screens and going 80 yards. But Jonathan Taylor is a hell of a balance and a mismatch here. So the situation remains fluid as I'm talking to you now. Unclear whether a team is willing to meet the Colts' trade demands. Remember, not Jonathan Taylor's trade demands. The trade demands of the owner, Jim Irsay. And what he wants, which reportedly is a first-round pick or a package of picks worth similar value. I don't think he's going to. I don't think the Colts are going to get a first-round pick unless it's a late first-round pick. Remember, I uh, today earlier today the Cardinals made a big move. They moved Isaiah Simmons, their hybrid linebacker, to the New York Giants. I love that kid. I thought the Raiders could draft him a few years ago, but they weren't able to get him. I love Simmons, the fact that this guy is a hybrid, a linebacker. He's like an edge rusher. He can put his hands up and knock balls down at the line of scrimmage, and he can jump into pass coverage so the Giants pick up a valuable piece. But we don't know what Taylor's status is going to be going forward. He's currently on the active, physically unable to perform list and must be activated or placed on reserve pup by Tuesday. Now, players on the reserve pup list must sit out for the first four weeks of the regular season. Man, there's a lot going on here with Jonathan Taylor. Josh Jacobs reportedly perfectly healthy. We just don't know the shape he's in. 
for the Colts, the prospect of a trade offer, the chance to conclude this tense four weeks for the organization and Taylor. They're in a standoff. The team is talking about moving him because he is the talk of camp as they're breaking in a brand-new young quarterback, and all the noise in the room is not about Richardson, the quarterback, and how he's performing. It's about Taylor. Jonathan Taylor has not practiced since reporting to training camp on July 25th. He was placed the same day on the pup list because of an ongoing issue with his ankle, according to the team. Now, the teams that are trading for him aren't worried about the ankle. They're worried about the type of contract that they could give him long-term that he'd be happy with and how many draft picks they'd have to give up to the Colts. The week since, total uncertainty about the future of the 2021 NFL rushing leader. He had ankle surgery in January after missing six games last season. Again, I tie this back in to Josh Jacobs, who has not had an ankle surgery, is completely healthy, should be ready to go. So it's very uneasy right now in Indianapolis, a team that the Raiders play on New Year's Eve this year. I think owner Jim Irsay is a whack job. The agent on this, they're in a back and forth publicly, and it's getting uglier by the day. Nothing crazy today. Taylor's trade demand issued to the Colts on July 25th came to light, and the situation's more uncomfortable because Jim Irsay is poking him back, and he's adamant that he's not going to do a trade unless he likes to trade there. So Taylor has left training camp twice in the last two weeks. First to get treatment off-site. He wanted to get treatment off-site. And then also for this ankle injury, which is really important at this time, he's got to figure out what he's going to do and if he's going to be ready to go. So I think this, I'm tying it in to Josh Jacobs because there's no drama today around Josh Jacobs. Could that change? Yeah, potentially it could change. In the next couple of days or over the weekend if he doesn't report, But as of now, all systems are go. I don't talk to anybody who's panicking. No one seems overly concerned, but I have Josh Jacobs on Jacobs' watch. If I had a stopwatch, we'd be playing it right now. And Taylor, meanwhile, still wants out, and it looks like the Dolphins are going to be the team that tries to go after him. So we're not hearing about trade demands for Josh Jacobs. We're not hearing about treatment. We're not hearing about an ankle injury. We're not hearing about the owner and him going back and forth. Two different storylines here. As I've been texting with people around the league here who are asking me if I know anything about Josh Jacobs, and I say the same thing. Doesn't matter if it's Stephen A. or you, our great audience here. I don't know anything. Hopefully, we'll know something here pretty soon. Also, I got a brand new podcast that I uh, did last night, earlier last night, with my podcast partner, Tom Looney, on that 49ers situation with Trey Lance, who's pretty much done. Darnold won the quarterback battle. Why do we care about this? I care about it because I talk NFL nationally, and it's a big story. How Trey Lance, the Niners, and Kyle Shanahan gave up three first-round picks for him. He's the third-string quarterback. They don't want him to get hurt in camp. They're trying to trade him. The team that could be most interested in him are the Vikings, another team that the Raiders play this year. Remember, the Vikings have given Kirk Cousins plenty of time to win. Last year, the Vikings won 13 games, and they lost to the Giants in the playoffs in the first round. That was unacceptable. Remember, Cousins threw underneath on fourth down, didn't even throw it to the sticks, and Cousins is a really likable guy. He is a faith-based guy, loves his wife and kids. If you saw quarterbacks on Netflix, one of the nicest guys you could ever see, but the Vikings are running out of time with him. I can't imagine the Vikings giving Kirk Cousins another year even though he's a good quarterback he's not a top 10 quarterback but he's right outside that if you look at the stats here 
Could that be a landing spot for Trey Lance to be underneath Cousins in the quarterback room, learn under Cousins, who's very good, an offensive-minded head coach, and could that fix him? Uh, Raider fans don't care about that, but the NFL does. He is a talent, Trey Lance, and he's going to get an opportunity somewhere else. And then uh, one other big story still here. We're keeping an eye on the holdout in Kansas City, which could be pretty important here as the Raiders are chasing down the Kansas City Chiefs. Chris Jones still the stalemate. He's willing to hold out till week eight, as Mike Florio and Pro Football Talk is saying. This is a real stalemate. You know, Nick Bosa hasn't reported, right? Josh Jacobs hasn't reported. There are a couple players still unavailable. We saw the trade with Isaiah Simmons to the Giants, as I mentioned, for a seventh-round pick in 2024. Give me that deal all day long, all day long. But there's some news out there, and again, you're looking at Kansas City's best pass rusher, willing to play hardball with Andy Reid and the Hunt family. He deserves to get paid, and he wants to get paid. So two of the best pass rushers in all of football looking for new contracts, and they both deserve contracts, including Nick Bosa, with the 49ers we got our pass rusher locked up we got two of them locked up uh no doubt about it max crosby signed a contract extension last year so he's under contract control and one of the best players in the league which we're thrilled about and then tyree wilson who's coming along and now padded up uh practiced a bit he practiced in los angeles didn't play in the game going to be very interesting to see what happens with him in dallas And if he doesn't play in Dallas, no problem. The Raiders will have time to get him ready for Denver. I don't know what the package is going to look like for Tyree Wilson in the first week in Mile High, but it'd be great to see him come in on a third and 12 and to keep Chandler Jones on the field with Tyree Wilson and Max Crosby to get after Russell Wilson. And speaking of Russell Wilson, uh, next week we're going to be off on Labor Day. So we're off Monday, Labor Day. And then after we come back, we are into our full first week coverage here on the flagship of the Raiders, all in on the Denver Broncos. I got three Denver Bronco guests all lined up, and then we have our insiders who will be on a rotating basis every other week, Paul Gutierrez, Gutierrez, Vic Tafer, everybody that we have, Jason Horowitz, the voice of the Raiders, Vinny Bonsignor, all of the insiders that you've come to listen to on this channel, and many of them on my show. So that's going to kick up as Denver is going to be here sooner than later, or we're going to be in Denver as the Raiders open up with their first three out of four games on the road. Man, I would have loved that Denver game to be at home. I understand Ed Sheeran. I understand Beyonce. I understand what happens in the stadium. I get it. But, man, I wish the Denver game, the opener, was here at Allegiant Stadium so we could get that game and win at home and then play at Denver the last game of the year. We get Denver in Denver to open up the season. Then the last game of the season, I can promise you, One of the two teams are not going to be in the hunt. Both the Raiders and Denver will not be in the hunt, both teams, the last game of the year. But the first game of the year is going to mean everything, not only to this organization, but especially Denver, because it'll be the first game for Sean Payton and Russell Wilson together. 702-365-9200. Let's thank the DeCastaverde Law Group for everything they do. If you get into an accident, if you're in this cone zone, if someone goes through a light and rear-ends you, if you get hit on the freeway, if it's a truck, if you have a motorcycle accident or any type of accident, slip and fall, whatever you need, call the law group, the DeCastaverde Law Group, 702-222-9999. Alex and Orlando DeCastaverde, season ticket holders for the Raiders, proud partners of ours on Raider Nation Radio.
Bennett is under center again. One receiver to the right, one to the left. Men in motion, Bennett, another straight handoff up the middle, and Spillane was right there on the tackle. That's what we're looking yes, for yes. from Robert Spillane as he filled the hole for a one-yard gain for the Rams. Robert Spillane, that's a nice tackle. I got a chance to call that against the Rams on the Raiders Radio Network. JT, back with you. I'm heading out and going to have a good time in Dallas as we head out and out tomorrow as the Raiders take on the Dallas Cowboys. Today was the last Raiders practice at camp. That's it. It was the last practice at camp. Deshaun Reed tweeted that out. Paul Gutierrez, uh, everybody who covers the Raiders and does such a great job. It's a big deal for the correspondents, the people that we use here as insiders there, the people that are, uh, that are required to go to camp every day, the journalists who cover the team and report on it. There's not an easy camp, man, out in Henderson, man. It's hot. The weather's much different than at southern, other camps around the country. Other camps around the country, it gets hot and humid at times too, but... Henderson could be a little bit challenging for some. So for all of the reporters, the men and women who cover the Raiders and got through camp, congratulations. It's really cool that people take their jobs so seriously and they go out there and do such a good job. 702-365-9200. So here's what we're doing as we're brought to you by Resorts World. Head on out to Doghouse Saloon. That's home of Monday Night Football. We'll have select appearances there this year, but that's the place I tell everybody to go on Monday Night Football is Doghouse Saloon at Resorts World, one of the best venues in town, and they do a great job on Monday Night. Prizes, giveaways, they give away hotel rooms, they give away jerseys, drink specials, fantastic over there. Scott Sabella's vision for sports at Resorts World. So we're waiting on Dave Ziegler, Raider practice wrapping up. Dave's going to speak. And we're going to try to hit the and thread the needle and take that live or close to live as we can because I think he's got a lot to say. It's training camp uh, wrapped up. This is the end of camp. The Raiders will go play the Dallas Cowboys and then they'll come back and they'll make the roster cuts on Tuesday from 90 to 53. I'm predicting no individual player coming in, but I'm predicting that Dave Ziegler will bring in a new player. Uh, I was wrong last year on the offensive line. I really thought that they were going to bring in an offensive lineman. Because at this time last year, they were trying out seven or eight offensive linemen. I didn't think it worked well. It did in the preseason. They went 4-0. But I still thought they needed to bring someone in, and they didn't. And they decided to go with the talent that they had. Well, this year, I'm okay with them not bringing in another offensive lineman. Maybe a swing tackle because of the injury to Brandon Parker. But there is depth at the offensive line position. And they have players who they believe are serviceable. And I just don't know what's going to be the final cuts here. So for the offense, as we look at the offensive line, McClendon Curtis, Jordan Meredith, Dalton Wagner, Grassau, uh, Van Roten, who's definitely going to have an impact on this team, could start at times, Alex Bars, Thea Munford Jr., Jermaine Illuminor. We know that Andre James, hopefully Dylan Parham is at 100%, Colton Miller, uh, Justin Heron. There's a lot of depth on this offensive line. But I wonder if the Raiders will be looking for another offensive lineman if available. I think linebacker is the player that I'm looking for. If there is a linebacker available, will the Raiders be able to get one quickly here on cutdown day? As a lot of good teams, we mentioned the 49ers who have seven starting linebackers. Uh, will the Niners not protect one of those linebackers who won't be able to play on their practice squad? And will a team like the Raiders or other teams around the league get a Niner linebacker that seems to be their strength? So we're going to keep an eye on that. Golf, I'm going to be watching a lot of golf this weekend. The Tour Championship is wrapping up at Eastlake. I'll get you a leaderboard update on that. And there's no update in regards to Jerry Judy, who was carted off the field today at Broncos practice. 
their number one wide receiver, uh, uh, wide receiver number one for the Denver Broncos suffered a hamstring injury serious enough that they took him off on a cart. So I don't know what's going to happen here. This comes from James Palmer. He says Jerry Judy took an end around and then grabbed his right upper leg. Looked like his hamstring. He was visibly upset. The cart came out to get him. He had trouble getting on, and teammates came over before he was taken inside. He needed help getting off the cart. Wow, that, that is a significant injury. So Sean Payton now, that wide receiver room for the Denver Broncos is in a little bit of trouble. No doubt about it. Jerry Judy is only 24 years old, and he had a pretty good year last year. He set multiple career bests last year. He caught 67 passes for 972 yards and six touchdowns last year. Expectations were much higher for him this year, entering the 2023 season because Sean Payton is the new head coach and the fact that Russell Wilson lost some weight and his pressure on him to play better. So as Judy is sidelined here, and if you look at what's happening here, Cortland Sutton and rookie Marvin Mins Jr., who the team selected in the second round of the 2023 NFL Draft, are likely in line for more targets from Russell Wilson. Sutton was always expected to start, be a major factor. Mims, who I saw play a lot of games at Oklahoma where my son just graduated, I saw Mims play four or five games live. He's a hell of a player. And before that, remember, Tim Patrick sustained an Achilles tear in camp. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Denver Broncos bring in another wide receiver here as they wrap up their preseason, get ready for the regular season going up against the Raiders. Because this was something that I was really interested in covering here. Marcus Peters going up against Jerry Judy. That, to me, was going to be a hell of a matchup in week one. Jerry Judy's got the ability, the speed, to break away and do some things. But Marcus Peters is crafty and a trash talker who would get in Judy's face. Now, we don't know if Judy's going to play. If the hamstring was serious, he won't play in week one. If it wasn't that serious and they can work through it, maybe he is a... You know, game-time decision coming into week one against the Raiders. A couple of Josh McDaniel sound bites from yesterday. As cuts are coming, they got a lot of decisions to make here. Dave Ziegler, along with the head coach, Josh talked about it yesterday. I think it's always difficult. Um, I, I don't know. I kind of – there's a human side of that that, you know, regardless of who you release, um, you know, they've, they've done a lot of work. Um, they put a lot of effort, time, energy – uh, into competing and trying to do the best thing for the team and trying to improve themselves. So there's a tremendous amount of respect that, that's involved with all of our players, regardless of whether they make the roster, um, we put them on the practice squad, or ultimately they go somewhere else. Um, you have a tremendous feeling for the, those guys um, because of all that they've done to try to help you and your team be better. So I don't really think... Um, it would be unfair for me to sit here and say this year's decisions will be harder than last year's um, because I kind of look at them all. They're all not fun um, to go through uh, at the end of the day uh, because, like I said, there's a human element to it. Um, the goal for us will, will, will be always to try to make every one of them difficult because we've added, we've added competition you know, in every, every room at every spot. And so I hope that they're – I hope we want to keep, you know, 80 guys. You know what I mean? And not, you know, there's 47 that we like and we're trying to figure out who the other six are. I don't think we're going to be in that boat. I think there's going to be a number of players we would love to keep. Uh, as I mentioned, that's kind of go where it goes into the 53-plus 
you know, 16, 17 extra guys where you're saying, how can we construct this thing so where we have the best group of players going forward? Yeah, I think they're going to have some tough decisions here with the cut down. There's going to be three or four players that they're going to want to put on the practice squad, no doubt about it. Other teams are going to be all over the Raiders. The Raiders, I believe, have one of their best all-time, not, not all all-time, but in the last 20 years or maybe 15 years, they have their deepest roster in camp. That doesn't mean it's going to be the best 53-man roster I've ever seen. But going out to 90 before they cut down to 53, there's some good players who aren't going to make this team. Also, Josh McDaniels talked about that third quarterback. It's not a controversy here. Aiden O'Connell's playing very well. The Niners had a third quarterback controversy. Trey Lance was too emotional to show up for practice yesterday when he found out he'd be the third string behind Sam Darnold. Josh McDaniels on the three quarterbacks he has. There's no question that you have to figure out exactly how you feel based on the week and or the situation. Um, you know, it wasn't the same rules, but long time ago, um, you know, we had Flutie and Castle and uh, and Doug was a veteran player, obviously. And, you know, and Matt was a, a, a young player. And so, you know, you're making choices based on, um, you know, how you would feel about, you know, what happens in the third quarter versus if we had an entire week to practice, et cetera. So, um, you know, you have to make decisions based on what you're, the information you have, um, and it might change. You know, it could change from one week to the next or one month to the next based on what we do at practice because, again, we've said before, like the competition won't stop for us. We'll continue to work and practice, and everybody will get repetitions during the season also for that reason. All right, I just got a note that Dave Ziegler is going to speak here in about 30 seconds to a minute, so we'll join that momentarily. I want to get David in Albany up first, Bobby. He's on hold. David in Albany, New York, uh, my old home state. How are you, David? Hey, good. Thanks, JT. Thanks for the moment. Yeah, I'd like to get real quick. I think JJ will be ready, war ready, come week one. I think he's waiting for preseason to get over with. And my concern and my questions are, who are we going to have for our wide receivers finishing it out? Is it going to be Dorsey and and Carter? Is Sims yeah. going to make it? I like Sims. He's, he's a big boy. He's six, he's six foot four, six foot five. I think he would do well in the end zone like he showed up in the preseason. And the second second thing is, how about the linebacker? How about Drake Thomas? What do you think about him? Uh, let me jump in here because we're going to go to Dave Ziggler, and I'll react to this on the other side. I like Cam Sims a lot. He made a great catch. He made an unbelievable catch in the end zone there, and I like his size. I do like his size a lot. When it comes to the Raider wide receivers, Devontae Jacoby and Hunter are one, two, and three. Trey Tucker is four. They just drafted him. He's going nowhere. And then as I look at the other receivers, I think DeAndre Carter, for obvious reasons, on special teams is five. I think Philip Dorsett is the final one that gets in here. Look, it's going to come down to Sims or Keelan Cole. I don't think Keelan Cole, Chris Lacey, Christian Wilkerson, who's had a pretty good camp in the preseason, depending on who they put on the practice squad in that scenario there. So I, I just think the, the core guys for the Raiders at wide receiver, it's strong. Devontae Jacoby and Hunter Renfro. Philip Dorsett comes over from New England. They're very familiar with him. He's played well. He's a speed burner. DeAndre Carter, for his experience and what he's been able to do, and Trey Tucker, that to me overall is a good six wide receiver core to have here. And I think Cam Sims is going to be the odd man out. I don't think it's going to be Dorsett. I'd love to see Cam Sims make this team. 
Because if he doesn't, he's going to make another team pretty quickly. He is a red zone target. And one of the things that's important about Cam Sims is his ability to go up and high point a ball, to go up and get a ball at the top of his route and come down with it in the red zone. And that and Devontae does the same thing, right? Devontae does the same thing. High points a ball, can jump like an NBA player and come down with it and make an amazing catch. Cam Sims has done that throughout his career. Dorsett and Trey Tucker are smaller, undersized guys, but they get open, man. They get open, and they can also speed burn, and you need someone to stretch the field. So I'm hearing Dave Ziegler is walking up to the podium in a moment here. Uh, Bobby's going to try to get this, and then we'll catch up and come back here on the other side, and I'll react to what we hear here uh, as soon as this happens here. If you want to get through and talk about Dave afterwards, dial now. We'll get you on hold, 702 Three six five ninety two hundred, and we'll go from there and continue that conversation on who's going to be the sixth wide receiver for the Raiders, who's going to be the fifth running back, depending on what happens with Josh Jacobs. You know, you got six receivers and five running backs, eleven players out of your fifty-three right there, and you got all the edge rushers and the defensive tackles and the cornerbacks. I mean, one player, one player might not make the team because Dave Ziegler believes that on the other side, it's more important. It's much more important to keep an extra cornerback than a wide receiver. All right, let's go out to the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. Here's General Manager Dave Ziegler. I'm ready to roll. Dave, as you're putting together your 53-man roster, how much is thinking only about 2023 and how much is, okay, this guy may be better in 2023, but I think this guy, if we cut him, we're not going to be able to sign him, but his long-term's there. How much goes into all that? Yeah, it's definitely part of the conversation. It's probably one of the more, more difficult parts of this decision-making process is weighing the, you know, the weighing the immediate versus the future. And you know, at the same time, we you know we you know prescribe to a philosophy that doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter who you are, what it is. Like you earn a spot on the team based on your performance on the field, and so you got to be mindful of that too. Um, and, and, you know, what message that sends. And so it's a, it's a part of the discussion. At the end of the day, you know, the performance is going to be the biggest part um, that, we put, that we, we put into making a decision on the roster. Hey, we're at the end of training camp today. Um, any progress uh, on, on, with Josh Jacobs? And we're kind of getting to that nitty-gritty area mm-hmm. where a game is coming up. Yeah. Uh, is there a reason for hope that, that he'll be out there uh, against the Broncos? Yeah, nothing new to add right now on that. So we're just, you know, keep pushing forward. Dave, uh, is, is the worst case scenario kind of like what's going on in Indianapolis with Jonathan Taylor, or uh, is that an option you're, you're just trying to avoid altogether, or could a trade even be uh, an option at some point if this continues? Um, I don't know the exact details of what's happening in, Indian, in Indianapolis and where we're focused on what's happening here. And so, yeah, any trade speculation, all that stuff, I mean, organizationally, that's nothing that we would ever address on any player. Um, there's, you know, there's no advantage to doing that. So, um, we, like I said, you know, we're just going to keep pushing forward. We're focused on, on, you know, our situation here, putting the roster together the best way that we can um, to field a, com- field a competitive team, and that's where we're at. This offseason, you said multiple times, uh, you know, kind of the long-term vision is building, you know, the homegrown talent up. Um, what would you say is the short-term measure for this season in terms of what would you call the season success? 
in terms of like the person with with the homegrown talent? Are you talking about this? Just in terms of the team as a whole individually. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all we measure on wins and losses, you know, and so I think that's definitely a part of it. And I think another part of it in, in that is would love to see our young players, you know, that we've you know that we've invested in, continue to grow, continue to improve um, throughout the season. You know, where you're getting to the end of the season and you have a lot of guys that um, you know have contributed to to a winning season and. You know that's you know that's really what we're focused on and how we're going to gauge it. Along those lines, um, you've been able to assess your rookie class up till this point. Now some games are going to be uh, getting on their ledger. How excited are you about where they are right now and what the possibilities are for the rookie class this year? I'll give that one to you. <laughs> no, we we are excited about you know what you know these guys have done over the last few months, but also you know no different than we are excited about the veteran guys that are here as well. You know. I think we've we've worked on building a roster where there's competition at every position at every level, and I think we're seeing that kind of come to fruition now. Um, so just exciting, you know, for for the time being. For the two of you, you know, you did your job when good players are going to get cut. When your job's difficult, does it? Do you feel that way? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you feel? Because it certainly appears, from my perspective, that the roster was greatly enhanced. Yeah, I think we, you know, kind of were coming down to the the wire here and starting to really look into those, um, you know, those individual position battles and those individual slots. And um, I know, I think we both feel that this year, you know, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. Um, and, and that's, you know, again, like you said, that's by design. Um, you hope you hope to have built competition where um, it's not always clear cut. And I'd say we have a, some tougher decisions to make this year than we did last year based on the level of competition and um, and, and how the players have performed up to this point. This question is kind of for both of you, uh, just in terms of dealing with this rookie class, not only with what they've been able to do on the field, but just with how they're dealing with player engagement with other coaches, the development of these guys from the time you've got to move them now. Right. I think, you know, first of all, our college staff did a great job of, you know, going out and identifying guys um, with high character, with high passion for football, who are great teammates. And so excited to, you know, we were we had a really good experience with them here, acclimating to our system, learning our culture, you know, learning from the coaches and also the veteran players that are here. Um, and so, you know, just excited to see them continue to grow into the player that we envisioned to them to be when we drafted them. Yeah, and I think we're really excited with some of the strides we've made just with player development in general here. We've invested a lot of resources and, and a lot of time in, in building up our player development department, um, you know, having clear objectives, really focused on on growing the, the, the player on the field, but growing the person too, um, because there's a lot of things that you handle when you come into the league um, that are outside of just being out on the practice field. And um, that's something that I know we've, we've um, is important to Champ and I and important to the organization. And, um, you know, we're really excited about where that, um, that, that department is going and how it's impacting the team. Since bringing um, Jimmy into the program, in what ways has he mirrored the values that you guys want to construct this franchise around? What's unique to the way he approaches the position and, and everything that comes with it? Yeah, I'd say uh, an even keeledness, uh, ability to you know an ability to stay calm and poised, um, and just be a steady a steady influence on the offense. And you know, Jimmy has um, uh, you know a, a mental toughness that you know we that we look for in, in all players that that we want to bring in. You know, we talk about being smart, tough, dependable, being able to perform at a high level um, in pressure situations, and we think Jimmy embodies a lot of that. He's embodied through that through his career. We've seen that as, as we've continued to grow together since we've signed him. And so, you know, we, we feel like 
Um, he's a good leader for, um, for what we value at the position and, and what we value in terms of team building, too. You're listening to Dave Ziegler and Champ Kelly addressing the media from the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center on Raider Nation Radio. How, how, what's your assessment of where he is right now in his process? Still developing. You know, like, like, much, like most of the young guys that we have on our football team now, um, I think he's done a good job of, of, of learning the system and, you know, gaining some trust with our coaching staff and with his teammates. And that's, as a young player, that's all you want to do during this time. And, and, and so, like, he's a, he, he creates a quiet poise, you know, in a huddle prior to every snap. And I think our players appreciate that about him. Observations so far, takeaways about the guys competing a linebacker uh, so far this past month. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a competitive group. Um, we like the group that we have at linebacker. Um, they all have a little bit of a of a different skill set. Um, you know, Roberts come in from Pittsburgh, and uh, you know, been a guy that has been as advertised. And in, in, in a lot of ways, um, I think he's um, exceeded some expectations, um, just in terms of um, you know his ability to um, run the defense. Uh, his ability in pass coverage, um, his athleticism, some of the things that um, you, you don't always know on film until you get, you know, you see him on the grass and you feel it and see him moving around. So he's done a good job. You know, Divine's taken another step that we're excited about. And then we have Luke, um, who's, who's again another guy that's grown. Amari's shown it, showed up a little bit in pass coverage and things like that. Uh, Curtis, you know, uh, Bolton was a guy that, uh, you know, developed as a, as a, you know, disruptive kicking game player for us a year ago and really led those units, and he's taken another step. And um, Drake Thomas was all over the field the other night in the Rams game, racking up tackles and, and, and things of that nature. And so um, anybody on MAGA? Oh, and MAGA, who we, you know, brought back, and he goes out and, you know, he shows up in the kicking game. And so it's, been, it's, a, it's a young, energetic, high-energy group that we feel like f- f- kind of – uh, their skill sets play off each other, and they and they fill some different roles, and so it's a group we're excited to continue to work with. I think also they they kind of embody the personality of their of their position coach. Yeah. You know, um, AP has done a done a tremendous job working with those guys and 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 empowering them to be leaders of that defense. I think uh, some of those descriptors you guys use people would apply to the full defense. I mean, it seems like they've kind of been it's a new look. It's been eye opening throughout training camp and against some of the other teams. What, what's excited you guys most about the, seeing this new look defense up close for the last month? Yeah, I think a big emphasis, big emphasis that we put on the defense was making plays on the football. And you know, we've seen that so far here in training camp. It showed up at the joint practices. It showed up in the games. And and obviously, you know, it doesn't really mean anything until we carry it out on the field. But at the same time, um, that was an emphasis that we, you know, we wanted to focus on in training camp. And you know, it showed up. So you have to be you have to be excited about that, and you have to feel good about it. I think there's a collected trust that you see amongst that unit that's growing. Um, yeah. And to watch those guys celebrate after big plays is exciting. It tells you a little bit about their brotherhood. Um, the younger guys are pouring, I mean, the older guys are pouring into the younger guy. Yeah. The younger guys are eager to learn. You know, and I think that's what you're seeing kind of manifest itself on the football field. You're talking about development, and um, we sometimes forget that Nate Hobbs and Trayvon Merrick are young players in their own right. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of put some veterans around them with Marcus Epps and, and Marcus Peters. Um, do you feel like they they've kind of they're on track to to be what this organization felt like where they were going to be when they went to job? Yeah, we we I mean we hope so. They've definitely you know, made strides uh, in terms of their consistency and their performance. And and I think the the two guys that you know you mentioned, Marcus um, Epps and, and Marcus Peters, like those guys have a certain standard that that they. 
um, take pride in how their room performs on a day-to-day -day basis in practice, and uh, that's contagious to the other guys in the room. And so uh, it's been an important part, I think, to, for, for the whole unit's development to have guys like that in the rooms that you know, demand a certain standard and, and have a certain expectation, and that's been exciting to see. Last year, you guys were trying to set the standard, and you, you had a Max, you had a Colton, but you didn't have a lot of leaders. Mm -hmm. This year, that's what the players are talking about. They're mad. They're ticked off. What, yeah. How much better is this football team because the players are setting the standard it isn't the GMs and the coaches? Yeah. I, I would say that any time that your players are empowered and they become the voice because they are the ones that are executing things on the football field when they hold each other to a higher standard, I think that's where success lies. Um, and, you know, kind of to be a little bit, contradictory to what you said, I think those leaders were already here. And so now we're engaging them and pulling them out and they're stepping into, you know, their purpose and they're now they're controlling, you know, their, their communication to their group and they're taking ownership into their responsibility and their tasks on the football field. Um, and that's important for any team to win. All right. So that's a piece of this press conference. I think it's probably going to go on for a few more minutes if you want to jump in at Raiders.com it's also streaming live on the Raiders app on Twitter uh, YouTube of course get comfortable with that you're going to be seeing a lot of Raiders content there uh, Champ along with Dave uh, giving you their opinions on this roster cut down ahead of the Dallas trip as we're on the way to Dallas tomorrow so I think they're in a pretty good situation there's going to be uh, several tough decisions the Raiders will go with their 53-man roster we've been down this road before I've seen this movie before there's going to be a couple of guys that are on the practice squad who are good players who have an opportunity to get called up and play on game day. There's going to be some players who are cut and lost because other teams are going to jump on them quickly. And then the Raiders are going to have to live with this roster. And it's going to be a roster constructed mostly of players under contract who are young so Dave can evaluate them and build with them over the next couple of years. It's going to be tough. I can't wait to see what this roster looks like next Tuesday. 702-365-9200. How about this? We have an unbelievable new tequila company that I'm going to start talking about on Monday. Tease ahead with that. One of the best deals I've ever put together on this radio station with my buddy Andrew Paul. We are thrilled to announce that. And we have Remy Martin teaming up for excellence with Remy Martin. Quantro in your margarita makes it a better margarita. Swung on, hit in the air to center field. Back goes Thomas on the track at the wall. She is gone. It's a grand slam. Aaron Judge grand slams into Monument Park. It is a Judgean blast. All rise. Here comes the Judge. That was yesterday, and Judge homered again today. The Yankees lost. Washington beat my Yankees 6-5, to five. and the Yankees lose again, and uh, the wheels have come off. You know, I'm a big Yankee fan. If you've been listening to me for 20 minutes or 20 years, uh, they bring me tremendous joy and angst, and this will be one of the few August into September my entire life, in my entire life since a young boy on my dad's lap, that I won't have the Yankees in September, October to talk about. You know, wild card, third wild card, nothing. And uh, that's not good news for me because I like to watch baseball with my team in the playoffs. And the Yankees 
are not in the playoffs. Taking a look at the standings, the Orioles have a game-and-a-half lead in the American League East. The Twins, a five-game lead in the Central. And the Texas Rangers with Bruce Bochy have a one-game lead over the Astros, and the Astros are getting smoked right now. Uh, Atlanta Braves, a 13-and-a-half game lead over the Phillies. The Mets are 24 games behind Atlanta. The, remember the Mets this year was supposed to be a World Series team, Verlander and Scherzer? The Mets are 24 games behind the Braves. At the end of August, Brewers have a three-and-a-half game lead over the Cubbies. And out west, the Dodgers with a 12-game lead over the Giants. The San Diego Padres, another team that looks like Tarzan, plays like Jane. San Diego Padre beer muscle fans telling you how great they're going to be. The Padres trail the Dodgers by 17 and a half games. The Rockies are 30 games out. And the team with the worst record in baseball, the Oakland Athletics. Notice I didn't mention anything that has to do with Las Vegas. The Oakland Athletics, where we have a vast streaming audience today in the biggity, biggity O. The A's are 36 and 91. 36 wins, 91 losses. They're 20 and 45 at the Coliseum and six, uh, 16 and 46 on the road this year. I mean, you want to talk about brutal. And, you know, when the news comes out here and people are talking about what's going to happen with the A's in Vegas, uh, we got plenty of time, plenty of time to watch what's going to happen there. Uh, there is a guy by the name of Michael Urban who passed away, former Oakland A's beat writer and NBC Sports Bay Area insider. He passed away yesterday on his 55th birthday, according to his brother Dan on Facebook. And I've interviewed him in the past. I've had him on uh, times before. I can't recall the last time I had him on, but uh, Michael Urban, rest in peace. There are so many people, Bay Area insiders. Susan Slusher just tweeted out such dreadful news. Michael Urban covered the A's team with some big personalities, and he somehow had a personality just as big and was wildly entertaining, never a dull moment. Condolences to his family, especially his two daughters. He adored them. And Roxy Bernstein and everybody else up there that's tweeting now, uh, a very sad day in the Bay Area for former A's insider who passed away very young at the age of 55. And we wish his family and his daughters and everyone in his family Godspeed. Michael Urban, who passed away, former Oakland A's beat writer formerly of NBC Sports Bay Area. Wow. Tough to read that on Twitter. You, you kind of refresh on Twitter, and I saw all this, and had to get that in at the end of the show for obvious reasons. Q is coming up next. I believe he's at Circa as they're doing their big football kickoff contest weekend, and Q will have a lot of reaction to Dave Ziegler and Champ Bailey's comments just a few moments ago. I will be back on Monday. We'll see you heading out to Dallas with the Raiders tomorrow. Check me out on the play-by-play on radio. Jason Horowitz on TV. Uh, Listen to the game on Compass Media Networks and Raider Nation Radio. Have a great weekend, everybody. I always appreciate you listening. Thank you so much.